And we are back on a Sunday, snowy, snowy Sunday morning. This is the Heritage Radio Network. Uh, this is the main course. I'm your host, Katie Kiefer. My cohort, Patrick Martins, is on the other end of the phone, I think, right? Hey, Katie. Hey, Patrick. What are you doing? Um, drinking Irish coffee. <laughs> I can tell you love me because you talk in such a ridiculously high voice. The higher, the more the love. That's right. It's just like when you love your pets or your babies. Yeah. Yeah. When so you, you can you can me, measure you like, that. When, when you first met me, you were like, I don't know if I want to do radio. <laughs> no, actually, there was never a moment's hesitation, Patrick. I'm such a show off. Are you kidding? Um, so What's did you guys get the like big snowstorm? There? What's the weather like over there? Actually, the sun is coming out, and it's unbelievably beautiful. And it was the city was silent for hours this morning, which was just divine. Like I, that's no my favorite thing streets. of a heavy snowfall. They hadn't plowed them yet. Wow. So, and Brooklyn must be tough. I mean, is, how many inches, like, on an average street? Well, on the um, on the on some of the picnic tables out here in the back of Roberta's, uh, I'd say there's a good foot of snow. A, I think it was about yeah. a foot, yeah. And I know uh, Brenton has been working hard to get the snow off the greenhouses on top and everything, and his mm. feet are soaking wet and freezing cold. So. Oh, my God. <clears throat> yeah, there's plenty the, of snow. How uh, is the studio holding up with leaks and all that? Uh, I don't see any leaks. Guys, you see any leaks in the engineering booth? <laughs> was that a sound effect? No, it was an actual leak. <laughs> it was Jack drowning. Oh my god, poor Jack. Well, he was good while he lasted. May he live forever. Um, so, so Patrick, tell us show? what's going on. Well, we have Erica Demain in the studio to awesome. talk about Christmas uh, feasting. And um, she has some really interesting material for us. And um, Gina De Palma is going to call in from um, her house up in Westchester. One Gina, of the best pastry chefs in, 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 in America. The, in America, absolutely. Gina De Palma from Baba Restaurant. And then, um, and then, last but not least, we have um, Divya Gunyani from Behind the Burner, which is that fancy, slick new website where, like, all things culinary are happening. Wow! Did you look exciting. at that? It was really interesting. I mean, she's she's got a lot of uh, corporate backing there. I'm not quite. I didn't check the advertising roster, but it looked uh, it looked very impressive. She has sounds a like lot of gonna need high end chefs. It sounds like you're going to need the full hour and a half. Um, something like that. Something like that. Yeah, Jack <laughs> and Nat are like, what? No, uh, they're not. They're prepared. I no, sent them I an outline. I'm kidding. <laughs> Those so boys I'm are ready for anything. That, I'm here in Libertyville. Mm-hmm. And just north, like north of Chicago, and it also is full of snow. And um, I just had uh, a Christmas extravaganza. I think they were like 300 Saxelbees, which is the last <laughs> name of Anne's family. Yeah. Three, four hundred maybe. And they were all here, and um, there were so many people, you can't know everyone by name, so everyone was just giving a number and a uh-huh. color code. Yeah. So I was red 11. <laughs> and they were like, red 11, come pick up your man purse. I got a little uh, toiletry bag. <laughs> so that was fun. That and sounds excellent. They Patrick. made a delicious brisket. Um, really? Anyway, so, you know, I'm so happy, Katie, you were, you know, I know phone's not the best, but, you know, this is the last show of the year. And it so is. I just wanted to, you know, before you start, you know, the show, I uh, wanted just to say a few things that, uh, you know, had been kind of on my mind. Um, is that cool? Like, just for a little, like, three-minute intro? Uh, please uh, talk as long as you want, Patrick. I was expecting you to go on for at least 15 or 20 minutes, Oh, okay. Frankly. Well, I so can do that, feel too. feel free. Yeah. Well, first of all, you know, I think, you know, the HRN is, is absolutely the people that are a part of it. And, Katie, no one has, has 
shown up and been there and brought it more than you. Oh, come on. Thank and you, no, I mean, it's a, this is a big show, the Sunday show. You know, if it's Sunday, it's the main course. You know, I'm sorry that uh, Meet the Press ripped that off from us like 40 years ago. but <laughs> um, And then, uh, you know, Jack Inslee and Nat Wiener. I Absolutely. Mean, talk, talk about, about showing up. Yeah, when you show when you start a network like that, I mean, if you don't have two guys like that, you know, to uh, man the fort, you know, day in and day out, I mean, it's not going to be successful. And um, you know, all the hosts, uh, you know, and and the guys at Roberta's, I mean, could Amazing. there be a better place to do a radio station like in the world? No, it's the happiest place I know. Yeah. So, you know, it was just a very, very exciting year. You know, it's our first year. We've made a lot of improvements, you know, to the website and to the technology. We're going to be adding a lot of new features. But, you know, I thought since this is the last show of the year, I would just speak a couple of minutes about, you know, what has so inspired me about this kind of movement to create a voice, to, you know, broadcast uh, um, these issues that are so important to us and in really no particular order, they're just three things. Um, you know, from the food perspective, um, you know, since we were started kind of as a food site, um, I just wanted to say we are following, you know, I spent two years desk to desk, I mean, literally in the same room with Carlo Petrini, mm-hmm. who is the founder of Slow Food. And uh, one of the biggest things that, you know, has inspired me about him and one of the things that I think is most forgotten and lost by the American public, especially the, you know, religious, sustainable people, um, is that, you know, slow food was absolutely never, not for a day, ever intended to be um, a a local food movement. Mm -hmm. And it was always about quality and taste, And that was the number one. Carlo never cared where his olive came from, but he wanted the best olive in the world or the best olive Italy had to offer, or he wanted the best after-dinner drink, or he wanted, you know, the best grappa, or he wanted the best eggplant. He didn't care if it came from Sicily or Tuscany or Valdosta. He wanted the best. And, um, you know, I I think that uh, sometimes it's a disservice to local producers to say, hey, you're local, so you're automatically number one, when in reality in the whole country they might be number nine or number 12 for a certain product that they're producing. And, um, you know, I think that, uh, you know, gastronomy is a science. As Carla always said, there's a right and a wrong with it. You know, even though one guy might like a certain wine, you know, they are great wines and they are bad wines. And I just think it's very important that the Heritage Radio Network station work to elevate culture and education and quality and not just espouse, uh, you know, a little sliver of the overall message, which is that we are about broadcasting quality things. And, uh, you know, we don't get co-opted by any individual um, any individual, you know, philosophy. I mean, does that make sense, Katie? Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think that does make a lot of sense. I think that I think that people, you know, get caught up in the whole sort of locavore movement as if that's the holy grail. And sometimes um, it is. You know, yeah, it's it's great when it works. Um, yeah. But Some, we, we're a nation of of many millions of people, and uh, it's not always possible to implement those kinds of practices. It's just not um, economically viable. And until it is. Um, 
you and know, it's, it's about working with the system that we have to improve it. It's not about yeah. throwing it all out of the window and saying, I can only buy something that was grown 30 miles away. Yeah, absolutely. And listen, oftentimes the local food is the best food, you know, and it is the most nutritious. And when that is, that's great, you know, but it is, um, you know, I would rather that New York State farmers raise what's in their wheelhouse, like their bread and butter, like, you know, dried cherries, apples, yeah, you know, right. I mean, is that the best? place grow, you know, I don't know, uh, uh, Concord grapes? Maybe, maybe not. If it's not, then I don't want a Concord grape from New York. I could care less that it's local. You know, same with the pork or beef. So anyway, I just think, you know, the HRN has done great um, through our shows, Urban Foragers, um, you know, um, Hot Grease, um, Why We Cook, you know, just about really, truly spotlighting the very best America has to offer, and, you know, radio is a great medium for it. The other thing, you know, the point, too, uh, is, is uh, you know, no... The, the, what I love about Roberta's and Heritage Foods, which is the main sponsor for HRN and, and also HRN, it's, there's no feasibility study. We didn't do any feasibility study. We just no focus it. groups. Yeah, right. That's uh, focus groups and feasibility studies for what we do, which is trying to help farmers or artisans. Is uh, it's a waste, I think, oftentimes of taxpayer money. And, you know, I think that, you know, these people get 501c3 status and then proceed to do 7,000 feasibility studies for the smallest little circle of academics and, and you know, uh, certain people. And, and, you know, I have to say, um, I am, you know, it really gets my goat and sickens me that so many people talk such talk and how few people are actually ready to make a concrete act, um, you know, from consumers, you know, who could spend a little bit extra time to, to seek out a better product. But, you know, all the way to, you know, I hear all this talk about wanting to change school lunch in the public school system. Yeah. I mean, absolutely, there's no more room for talk or waiting for right. policy. And I think policy changes based off vigilante tactics that push policy to have to, you know, to, to not be able to ignore anymore, you know, certain issues. And there's a group who I'd love to have on one day, Revolution Foods, out in California. From nothing, they opened a catering hall and today produce 40,000 meals for public schools that is within about 70 cents of what the government allots per wow. meal. And the rest of the money, the difference, they just raised it. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, talk about an inspiring story. Yeah, to we definitely should. That, that sounds like a wonderful guest. You know, and I have to I, say, I'm going to reach out to them this week. Slow food. You know, talking about it, I mean, that they had better, 2010 is their year <clears throat> for all the great things they do and believe in to show that all these sit-ins and all these feasibility studies actually lead to a single meal being changed. If yeah. they can point to one meal being changed for one kid in America, it is a complete success. But as long as it remains that not one meal has changed. So, I mean, you know, and, and that applies, by the way, to everything. You know, any good, clean, and fair activity in the country needs resu results now more than ever. And um, that leads me a little bit to the last thing now is just um, I think this HRN is is unbelievable station because it has really brought to the forefront the artisans, the truckers, the carpenters, even 
you know, army generals and special forces uh, people, you know, uh, real estate agents, people who are the concrete means to change. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as long as these people are left off of, you know, panels and feasibility studies, you know, or meetings, the world's not going to change. And, um, you know, I'm inspired by, you know, Chris Parikini and Roberta's and what else is happening in Brooklyn. I'm inspired by HRN and all of our hosts who bring it week in and week out. And um, anyway, I just kind of wanted to say that we are an active movement. We are not a um, a passive one, and we're not about celebrating what's good in the world. We're about creating more good in the world, and I think that you know inspires me and keeps me wanting to grow HRN yeah. into the distant future. Absolutely. Oh yeah, we're going to take it very, very wide this year, this coming year. Yeah, and so um, yeah. So, what's your favorite show on the network <clears throat> besides <laughs> the main course? Besides mine. Um, you know, I love Hot Grease. I've listened to a few of those episodes, and I think Nicole is fabulous. Um, I like Erica White's show a lot. Um, of what course, I love Burning the, Down the House. Burning Down the House, the only architect on the show. <laughs> One of the only architects in the country. Who has who a show like broadcasts that. a show about architecture and design. Yeah. What about you in the studio, guys? I mean, what are your uh, what shows inspire you having you know worked each show? They're like uh, chitter chatter. That's that's a good question. Um, I'd say Catch a Cook and Eat It is pretty inspiring just because it's, it's, uh, I don't know, it's just a lot of fun and it is fun every single week. And at first I have to admit I was a little bit skeptical of how much fun seafood could really be, but he, he proved me wrong. <laughs> that is hilarious. What about you, Jack? Uh, I'm going to go with the main course. <gasps> Jack, oh my God. that's only because, because I'm here. Well, because you're looking you for know, you know, Kate, Katie might might book the guests, but you you work a solid six days a week and still show up every Sunday, which kicks ass. So, well, Good job. that's awesome. Hey, Thanks, I work Jack. five days a week too. You know, Jack. Well, I, I watch Patrick work. That's the difference. <laughs> yeah, he has to actually sit next to me on Wednesdays. Yeah, right. He's like, how can he smoke weed and run a meat movement? No, just kidding. <laughs> uh, we just lost our sponsors. No, yeah, really? we didn't. But um, and anyway, and and thank you for bringing that up, Jack. You know, just before I sign off, you know the you know the Hearst Ranch, uh, Fairway Market, um, you know Whole Foods. I mean, um, Saks will be cheesemongers. I mean, you know people who literally Robertas. pay cash. Yeah. Robertas. I mean, they give all this food and support. Tech and, serve. You know, to to everybody, and it is just so inspiring. And I'm telling you, I am sick of hearing you know journalists receive awards. You know, they're true soldiers of this sustainability movement, you know, to either A, start new traditions, or B, create traditions where they didn't exist before. And, you know, I am sick of this monopoly controlling what we talk about and honoring the same tried and true three or four people. You know, meanwhile, there are hundreds of people, like, you know, I'll say, you know, Paradise Locker Meets. Talk about what every single community needs, you know, an honest, active slaughterhouse, a custom slaughterhouse that understands the needs of the farmers, and but also the final consumers. I mean, that's what we need. We need slaughterhouses. We need artisans. And damn it, you we know, do. this station is going to be the one that puts them on air. And by the end of this year, 2010, the, the, the motto for our station, we cannot be denied. The okay. people, the hosts, I mean, are absolutely going to um, 
be center stream center stage and you know we're, we're going to have scott stringer on the manhattan borough president who yep. one day i hope becomes mayor you know he's going to be a regular visitor on hrn yes he is my friend sam you know i say friend my my, my colleague my cohort the guy who i know uh, sam cass at the white house we're going to use that chip you know for good to Great. get more things on the national stage and i know katie you have you know hundreds of things that you want to do including especially with sustainable seafood right i mean yeah. that's a big thing for you yep seafood school lunch and then um actually speaking of slaughterhouses i i read an interesting piece uh recently on my favorite meeting meat website about a new slaughterhouse that's opening in upstate new york Great. um with an with an ethanol production component and mm. they're going to have like a closed loop so that they're i mean it's going to be like a you know they're going to be doing what they do which can be um either environmentally very unfriendly or it can be we hope environmentally sustainable and they are aiming to be the first slaughterhouse that shows how you can run these two systems without actually damaging uh you know your immediate uh surrounding area so yeah, that, that should be very interesting everything. not another challenge just to sell everything but um you know we've been talking uh, a small group of me about talking about how the, the 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 next challenge and this is just a uh you know, Heritage Foods does seven million dollars uh, of business a year with small farms and slaughterhouses. So right. that gives me the moral authority to say what I'm going to say. By 2013, we're not going to nest Heritage Foods, working with its small group of people, which includes some people at Roberta's, will cure, not cure, but will offer the choice to every person in bad neighborhoods to have an alternative to fast food. So it's a solution to the obesity epidemic in the tri-state area. I know that's a big claim, but that's four years from now. I am claiming that Heritage Foods will offer every single inner-city child or adult uh, an alternative to fast food. That sounds big, but, you know, if the people we know can get in power, and even if they can't, we will privately do this through our own tactics. I know that's a tall order, but I think you're going to see it. So that's my big claim for the future. Okay. I, I, I love to dream. Curing the obesity epidemic. Don't dream, Katie. You're going to be the one serving the meals. So <laughs> with us. I'll be writing it up for it. the New York Times. honey. <laughs> no, I, I don't mind serving a meal. Awesome. That's All right, fast guys. Life. Well, are you, America, are you going now? Well, happy, happy, happy. Happy, yeah. Well, I'll call you before, but yeah. um, and I'll see all Safe you guys. Safe travels. But I'm taking off on Tuesday, so I certainly you're going to Rhode see. Island. Mm -hmm. And um, are you going to? When are you going to announce the launch of your culinary school? Uh, I guess that'll be sometime in uh, January. We hope. Okay. Good. Yeah. <laughs> we'll awesome. Keep you so, Erica, have fun, and Jack, and Nat. Thanks. Thank and, you. Um, I'll see you guys in 2010. Safe travels. Okay, Patrick. baby. Bye. Bye. Happy New Year.
we're back. It's the main course on Heritage Radio Network, and this week we are sponsored by the Hearst Ranch. Um, in the uh, engineering booth, we have Jack Inslee as our producer and Nat Wiener as our engineer. Thank you, guys. And in the studio with me, I have the wonderful Erica Demain. Hi, Katie. Uh, cookbook author extraordinaire and with a fantastic blog that everyone should be tuning into on a, at least once a week basis, www.ericademain.com. And that's E-R-I-C-A-D-E-M-A-N-E. Dot com. Check it out. So um, I asked Erica to come back. She's a she's a second time guest, and um, we wanted to talk a little bit about Christmas um, traditional Christmas foods and and sort of how the Italians um, celebrate Christmas Eve in particular, which has always been the day that we've celebrated because Christmas was reserved for hangover food. Um, so. Do you want to talk a little bit? Because the Italians have a very elaborate feast kind of presentation. And then later on, after we go through that stuff, then we'll call Gina De Palma from Babbo, and she can tell us a little bit about traditional Italian desserts for the same. So so go for it, Erica. Tell well, um, La Vigilia, which is Christmas Eve, um, means the vigil. Yes. Um, and it was it's traditionally a huge fish dinner. Um, in this country, Italian Americans usually do seven fish courses, and that's the that's the that's kind of mind blowing. That's just to yeah. Think of. That, that I think it stands for the seven sacraments. I believe. What and are the seven sacraments? Don't ask me, <laughs> guys. Do you know anybody? Any churchgoers out there? Sleepy, dopey. Yeah. <laughs> I, as a former, Catholic, maybe Gina will know. Uh, it's actually baptism, Eucharist. Reconciliation, confirmation, marriage, holy orders, and anointing of the sick. Oh, Way to oh, go, Jack! Very good. Oh, he's so quick. Uh, well, the that's very nice. I'm glad he knew that. He looked it up. He looked it up. He looked it yeah, up. Jack's fast. Um, <laughs> but one of the things about this fish dinner is that um, a lot of people in this country have, a lot of Italian Americans have sort of decided the hell with it. And as a child, this was my favorite meal of the whole year. And I looked forward to this. And that's because you love fish so much? I love fish. I love fish. But I also loved a lot of things about it. First of all, it was eaten late at night, later than usual dinner. Usually we had it around 10. And as a kid, that was highly exciting. And very sexy. Very sexy. And candles. I mean, you know, it was just... It was just a thing that felt really grown up and really fabulous, and um, and also the fish aspect. And I also loved the the ceremony of bringing you know one dish out at a time, and then the next dish. I love that. That's one thing that's so great about Italian cooking in general is that they don't just it's 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 never just like a big slop of food that's thrown on the table. Where we do get this in America a lot. Yes. Um, Italians will bring out you know a meat course and you'll get just meat on the plate yeah and then you'll get a vegetable course and it will just be a vegetable and it'll come later um and i just think that's really an amazing thing it's a hell of a lot of work obviously for the cook but you know i mean that's one of the reasons why a a thing like this in this country is is really gone down the tubes and um but not for me not for Eric. no no but the thing is it's really changed the way i've done it because um you know, when I was a kid, we did we never did seven dishes because that was really a lot to get out of the kitchen. But we would do four, five. Um, start, so like what? 
Oh my God! Um, so would you start with clams on the half shell or sometimes, sometimes, or? sometimes oysters. Sometimes my mother would buy caviar, which is not exactly you know, which was just her take on it. Yeah. Um, and then we would have um, usually like a cold, some kind of cold seafood salad. Usually had calamari in it or scongili, which I absolutely, my father and I loved. The only people who loved it, and um, and then. Oftentimes, it was a pattern, you know, a lot of times it was the same things. A linguine with clam sauce, with um, white wine, lemon, parsley, garlic, you know, very, very clean beauty. Um, Often to uh, usually, I don't know, oftentimes like shrimp scampi, you know, scampi scampi, you know, Shrimp. Shrimp scampi. Isn't scampi shrimp? Exactly. I've always wanted to like yes. make sure that that yeah. was right. Well, scampi are the big long... They're the big ones. And then what, right. you roast them with garlic and butter and, well, my mo- garlic my, and olive oil? My mother used to try to get the ones in the, the, the big ones in the shell as best she could. And she would split them down the back with the shells on and then stuff um, garlic and parsley and, and breadcrumbs and stuff. And I... And olive oil and wine, and I think she used to actually just throw them in the broiler, mm-hmm. like real quick. Mm-hmm. And they were really, really like a high octane, intense garlic mass, and it's really <laughs> delicious. And we'd always have prosecco, and I mean, it was just such a amazing thing. I mean, you know, then when I started doing um, my own cr- Christmas Eve dinners at at my house, when I became an adult. Um, I can't remember if that when that happened. When was that? I I don't know. I'm not sure if it actually <laughs> it did yeah. actually in fact happen yet. Yeah, I was going to say at some Erica, point. At, at some point, I did have my own home, and, yes. and that's that's when it started. More to the point, All right? So at, at first, I started, you know, trying to um, do sort of what we did as a child, and doing a lot of the same dishes. We always had this strange dish that I always hated. That's a Neapolitan dish that's called. Um, Insulate rinforza, which is a cold cauliflower with um, it's a it's a big traditional dish in um that could be good like yeah with it, a vinaigrette it, on it yeah yeah exactly and it had um roasted peppers and olives and that capers delicious. I hated it why and I don't know you would I, so like that now yeah I, I I don't know I just I found it sour tasting but ah. so I dropped that immediately. Um, even though that is a very traditional thing, it's still done in in Naples um, a lot, and um, so I started making different things. I mean, I I, I made um, I love salt cod, which is another very very traditional. Yeah, every uh, country has its own version of bacalao. Yes, right? yes, and it's it's especially a traditional um, element for um, Christmas Eve in in um, Southern Italy. Mm-hmm. And um, usually it's made with, um, you know, stewed with tomatoes and olives and white wine. And it's really lovely. But I decided I wanted to do a um, a Venetian version, which is very much like a Provençal brandade, which is more of a pureed dish oh. that's baked. It's um, made with um, a lot of garlic and olive oil. And in Italian, it's called... So you called, soak the salt fish, and then you puree it in the blender? You, you poach it, and then you, you, you do it in either in a, in a Cuisinart or by hand, and you beat olive oil into it. You can add potato. You can add oh. a lot of garlic. I add lemon. I add other things. I add lemon zest. I add some thyme. Um, in, in Venice, the dish is called bacala mantecato, which means... to 
to pounded. To po- pounded, yeah. And um, even though I am a Southern Italian cook, I've decided that that's become a tradition in my family now for um, Christmas Eve. And I, I make it every year, and I love it. But and, sounds even for me, oh, who despises you fish would, and you would like description. this. I'll tell you uh, what I do is after I make the mush, and it is a mush. Yeah. Um, you spread it out into a baking dish, and you top it with breadcrumbs and olive oil and herbs, and then olives. Yeah. Good black olives, and then you just run it under the broiler so it gets really crispy on top, and you serve it on you know garlic toasts or oh oh my god it's just the best. That sounds kind of nice. You, you don't put s- any potato in yours because I think in France brandad moru is yes with it, potato and olive oil. In, right? in yes in in Italy it's often done without potato. I like it with a little bit of potato. Mm-hmm. Because um, I, I would too, because then I would feel like, it. Cu- okay. It cuts the the, the salt cod taste. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, but just a little bit. I don't want it to be. I don't want it to taste like a big dish of mashed potatoes. But it is like See, that would work for me. Yeah. <laughs> hold, hold the salt cod for me. Yeah, yeah. Um, Put everything else in though. <laughs> but I always make that. And um, what other uh, traditions? I mean, I've, I've made my own traditions. I always have um, mussels that have been baked and stuffed. With something, you know, breadcrumbs and herbs and, you know, run under the broil. Like like classic um, baked um, clams of, yeah. of Mulberry Street. Right. But these are a hell of a lot better. And um, Well, what interested me, I mean, the last time you came on, and this is kind of a perfect uh, point to introduce the, the idea of what is authentic, what is traditional, right. and the fact that these things are always uh, an evolving um process it's not just you can't just eat one thing for the you know next 200 years it's always going to end up turning into something new it's interesting because that's true in general for italian food it's less true in italy for um for holidays people tend to want they really do stick they really stick to what the grandmother made what the you know great-grandmother made and people expect it and are really disappointed if it doesn't show up yeah. I mean, you know, like for instance, um I mean in in Italy 13 dishes are more traditional than oh. Italian Americans usually do the se- the, the seven sacraments. When sacrament. do you have time to go to mass at midnight though if you eat 13 dis- courses? Oh, you start this it takes hours. I mean, you start in you the know, afternoon. Yeah, and also the the idea of of um uh, Christmas um midnight mass is kind of I think started during World War II. I don't believe oh, really? it actually really existed before that. So it's kind of, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, relatively a new, a new, tra- new. A new tra- sure. tradition. Yeah. Um, but I mean, in, in Naples, I mean, what they, they that comes to the table is like mind boggling. I mean, you'll start out with eel, you'll have, you'll have calamari, you'll have braised octopus, I mean, um, escarole torta, which is another traditional thing, which I, I still make sometimes. Yes. Um, I mean, you'll have um, oysters, you'll have everything, you know, sardines, pasta, lobster, I mean, every single kind of uh, sea urchins, any kind of gruesome sea creature that you would love. To- sea bugs. Yeah, sea bugs, all sorts of things <laughs> like that. And um, Unfortunately, lobsters became sea bugs for me when I was oh, pregnant. so sad. I've never oh, really gotten well, over it. I just love them. But eel is one of the creepiest things to have to make because eel has to be cooked, uh, has to be skinned alive. No. Yes. Why? Be, I, because it's got to be really, really fresh. Why can't you blanch it after it's dead? 
and peel it like a fruit. You can, but you know the tradition is that. Oh, that's gruesome. Okay, America. okay, Come but on. let me just tell you something. How do you do it though? Okay, I know exactly how to do this because when I worked at I worked at a restaurant called Le Madre um, uh, for uh, many years. It was a, one of Pino Longo's um, restaurants. Yeah, it was on 18th Street. Yeah. I remember it was it, well. a, it was a wonderful restaurant. Um, and at one point, I, I don't remember whether it was during Christmas or not, but we got eels in. And they came in live, squirming in a big goddamn burlap sack. Ew! Uh, yes. And Did they I, bite? I they must have been biting. I don't know. You know, I, I, I so didn't really want to deal with this, but I, this was one of my jobs. So I said to um, the chef... Um, at the time, and I said, um, can we sort of, like, kill them first? And he said, well, you can't, you don't really kill them, but what you can do is you could sort of, like, knock them out a little bit. So what he did, he dumped all these eels into this big, um, into the sink, and covered them with water and red wine vinegar. And what, this was such a depressing, sad little story. Whoa. They got, what happened was that they just sort of got, groggy and miserable and at at this point they weren't quite dead but they were sort of dead yeah and or they were just drunk on vinegar wow or something and then um alan tardy was the um was the name of the chef at the time a really fine chef who went on to work for slow food in um in bologna i believe and is still doing that um and then he took the things and he showed me how to open their mouths hammer the open mouth to a board and rip with a nail with a nail and then take a knife and rip around right under the the mouth yeah and then rip the skin down oh while these things were sort of you know did they wriggle when you did that yes they did so that means it hurt i'm telling you this was not a good day for me, no. Luckily, <laughs> luckily, luckily, it, take some luckily, it only happened once, and then it was just. I guess Alan figured it was just too much work, and why are we doing this? And, yes, and Americans and, aren't going to buy eels. And I anyway, actually, unless the, they're from the south. The truth is, I went into the bathroom and I cried for about twenty minutes. Oh after yeah, this. I really did. I was. I feel like I, crying just I, hearing I the burst, story. I burst into tears. Although I love eel, and then we grilled them. Uh-huh. You know, cut them into pieces, and that's usually how it's done in, in southern Italy. Grilled eel is one of the most delicious things. It's usually marinated first um, in oil and wine and herbs, and then thrown on the grill. It's fabulous. It you really is. You know, my is. father was a great fan of eel. He grew really? up in New Orleans. Oh, yeah, and right. I think in the south they must have done a lot of eel, too, or at least in the in the Louisiana um, from what tradition? From Sicilian? Because there's I so many Sicilians. Know. Perhaps. That, maybe. I mean, he was like half Jew, half whatever. Yeah. Um, but that's what they did. Was they, hmm. they Eel was a regular part of the menu. And I think they must have been able to catch them. Uh, they must have been freshwater eels. Yeah. And they probably grew in Lake Pontchartrain when you could still yeah. actually fish there. Um, because the other thing that they used to do a lot was fish for crawdads there. Yeah, sure. and uh And have these big crayfish boils. So what did they, how did they present the eel? I don't know. He yeah, never he told ne- me, he oh. never described doing that. And Oh, I it's just a craziness. I think, I think that, that they, at Alan I wanted to. I think they to, just chopped him up and, and cooked him. Yeah. Well, th- I think he wanted to do it the tra- traditional way and he wanted to freak me out. 
So ah, yes, you know the macho thing in I, the kitchen. I, I think so. Ah, yeah. I, I think so. You I'm know, so familiar with the, that. The little girl, you know. Yeah, the little and girl did, you and, can't handle. And, it. and I cried. He he got his wish. You know. Well, they he, did that to me when I was working in France, and they were like, you know, making me like eviscerate game birds and oh my skin god. rabbits and stuff. I had to skin rabbits. Yeah. And, oh my god. Yes, and haunches of venison. Oh my god, and, that was yes. so sad. That was. That's I didn't a, mind that so much really? actually. Oh, yeah. God. Well, they were dead already. They were. So we get a box full of bunnies, dead bunnies, dead bunnies. Sure. And then we. Skin and them then down. we'd have to skin them and and uh, oh, but the little paws, the little fuzzy. Paws. I didn't enjoy cutting the feet off. Oh I have to God. admit, but you know these things. I mean, somehow you get when you're working with food like that all the time. You get used. You to get it. used. It's like it seems natural. I mean, we all sort of go ooh, ew, ew. But I think we're also accustomed yeah. to the styrofoam packaging of our food. That's right. Um, that the connection to an actual living and breathing beast is is sort of lost there, and I, we've discussed that ad nauseum here. But um, well, actually, that reminds me of another really, really big, big time Christmas Eve dish that I've been making um, a lot. And um, this was a dish that came from my grandfather, but I never met him. He died very young, but he was Sicilian. And he made this dish that was a pasta um, with lobster and brandy and tomatoes. Oh, I've had that. And it is, it was, but he made it every year for Christmas Eve. I never, that's ta- very good. I never tasted his version, but I recreated the dish from my mother's, you know, memory of yeah. it. And that dish is made by hacking up live lobsters. I have done that too. Which is also something I used to have to do in restaurants. They'd come in crates of them. Yeah. You know, you'd have to hack up, you know, uh, what, like four, well, there is 40 a science a, 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 to that, though, because you stick the knife into the brain exactly. and you break it down. Yeah. I mean, when you're going to grill a lobster outside, you have to do that, too, because right. you've got to split them in half. Right. So I got used, I, I'm pretty used to doing that. And, and I still make, the, this year I'm not doing that dish, but last year I did. And, um, and you know, I hack, I hacked them up live, I, and I was... I was happy to do it. I can be sanguine about fish. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, well, the, it's the mammals that bother me. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's true. Although that eel story is still haunting me. Well, let's <laughs> take a quick break and go to Gina De Palma uh, okay. from Babo, and um, oh. and then we'll talk about desserts, pastry making, and everything uh, just else. One, I have to just say Wait, one. Okay. Okay. Uh, oh, one thing. I made a, uh, a pignoli nut tart from her book uh, one cup last year, I believe, for Christmas Eve. And it was fabulous. Well, you'll have to tell her when she comes okay. on. So let's take a break and go to Gina next. Okay. I ain't talking just to tease people like you that don't go on dreams. Look at you. That's what it's going to be. Have everything I need around my soul for Christmas tree. And we are back on the main course. This is Heritage Radio Network. We're broadcasting from the back of Roberta's Restaurant in Bushwick at 261 Moore Street. Um, and in the studio with me is Erica Demain, And on the phone with me is the wonderful Gina De Palma, one of the best pastry chefs in America today. And Gina, how are you? 
I'm doing good. I'm snowed in, but I'm okay. That's cool. We, uh, Erica, before the break, I don't know if you heard, but Erica was just uh, yodeling the praises of your pignoli nut tart, which she had made a couple of years ago. So well, Last, cri- oh, last Christmas you. Eve, I made it, and it was really, really, really good. <laughs> oh, I'm so happy to hear that. It's one of my favorites. Yeah, it's, definitely. it's great. I mean, I've always had them, and I've never actually made them because... I don't. I don't do a lot of sweet baking. I, I'm really not a, a, a sweets person. I do a lot of savory baking, but mm-hmm. I just need it. To, we, we prefer to use our calories up in alcohol yeah. instead of in sweets. That's, that's for, how for that sure. works. Alcohol yeah. carbs. Those are all very worthy uses of the <laughs> yeah. caloric unit. Right. That's right. <laughs> um, but believe. Gina, so tell us what a little bit about what's um, what's on the menu for, for Christmas desserts at Babo and what, what do you think of as like, we were talking about what's traditional in, in, in uh, Italian families for Christmas treats. What's traditional for you guys? Well, right now uh, I have actually the cranberry tart that's in my book on our menu because I just mm. love red um, at Christmas time, more so than the red and green thing. I just love red, so uh-huh. I, I've got that on, and that's kind of nice—a nice pop of color on the menu. Um, and then we're also making um, uh, castagnaccio, mm. which is like a chestnut cake. I love that. Um, mm, which is actually delicious. from the Babo cookbook. I gave that recipe to Mario for the Babo cookbook years and years ago, um, and uh, it's definitely one of my favorites. It's it's funny how things have changed. Um, I can serve that now, and people aren't freaked out by it. Well, when it's... we first opened, people were were like, "What chestnut? Oh, you know, chestnut flour? Oh, I don't like that." And it didn't really go over very well. And now people are just kind of scarfing it down. So I'm really happy about that. Well, it's interesting because that dish is not sweet, right? Well, it is. Mine is. Oh, I you make put a sugar. very oh. amped up sweet version of oh, that. Oh, okay. Because I've only uh, had it without sugar. And I, yeah. li- I like that. I like it without sugar. But I think I'd like it better with sugar. Yeah, I kind of amp it up a little bit with sugar and a little bit from fruit, but I keep the the walnuts and the pine nuts and the rosemary right. in there as well nice. to kind of keep it the traditional. Oh, lo- yeah. Lovely, yeah. Yeah. That sounds great. You know, chestnut flour has that little bitter tinge to it, I think, and if you don't, uh, I, I'm trying to, you know, please a wide range of palates, so unfortunately sugar winds up being the answer, but it really works. I think all the flavors work really well together, and it, it kind of winds up being like a sweet, chestnutty version of fruitcake almost. Do Italians use a lot of chestnuts in baking traditionally? Is that, I don't know, you know. Well, Italians use chestnuts, uh, have always had a lot of chestnut desserts and chestnut preparations because Mm -hmm. in lean times, you know, chestnuts grow all over Italy from the top to the bottom, even in Sicily. Mm -hmm. Uh, When they couldn't get uh, grain, which was quite often, uh, they went to the chestnut forest and they made Mm -hmm. bread with, I mean, it wasn't very pleasant because chestnut isn't a grain, so it doesn't wind up resulting in a product that has, you know, the texture of bread. But when you needed to survive, they're quite nutritious. Uh-huh. So, you know, the, the, for long periods of time, if they needed to live on chestnuts, they lived on chestnuts. Well, you know, there yeah. are other cultures that lived on acorns, and we never mm-hmm. think of those as, as a particularly... And in fact, they're very difficult to process because they are extremely bitter and yeah. require... Um, I think Indians in California would, like, soak them in the river for, like, three days to get the bitterness out, and there were other methods of treating them. But Bolano culture... Uh, was very big all around the world. So I'm not surprised that chestnuts being plentiful in Italy would provide the same uh, nutrition. 
Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, they do they do wonderful candied chestnuts, just like the Maron Glacé in, yeah. in France. But it's their own. Oh, excuse me, it's my phone. Um, uh, my own, uh, their own version of it, which is wonderful. There's chestnut candies. There's you know chestnut pasta, chestnut crepes, things like that. Ooh, definitely, pasta. it is a. I've made chestnut. I've made chestnut pasta. It's 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 difficult. It 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 gets a little crumbly. You need to. You, you, need know, flour. It, you need you flour. need to mix it with bread flour, exactly. and that's how it works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. And you have to you have to put a little gluten. It's got to mm-hmm. be glutened up. Yeah, but it's delicious. It's, Absolutely. What, yeah. you, what do you sauce that with? Uh, mushrooms and anchovies. Mushrooms, yeah, mushrooms definitely. That's what we've done at Babo. A mm. mushroom preparation, or even like a boar, something hearty, like a yeah. boar ragu, Ooh, or yum. you know, like a chestnut pepardelle with with boar ragu. Mm. Delicious. That sounds Delicious. really good, Gina. Yeah. So, yeah. so, Gina, aren't you making those struffoli over at Bobo for Christmas or what? You know what? We, I just, my mom and I just made struffoli this morning. No way. Oh, that's so great. We did. My mom was in the mood for, for, for rolling out struffoli, and it's perfect two-person job. Right. So, it, because, it, I, you know, I do try to make a plate of them every year uh-huh. um, yeah. at what Bobo are they? and put it out. And it, it's always interesting to see who recognizes it and who doesn't, you know, in, in the dining room who might say, oh, my goodness, is that a big tower of Struffoli over there? Tell because Katie. Do yeah, Katie doesn't I don't know. Katie doesn't know what it is. Tell her I'd be she, one of those people. Yeah, she doesn't know. <laughs> They're just little balls of dough that are fried, mm-hmm. yeah. and you coat them in honey. Basically. Oh, and then you and, stick them together? Well, you don't stick them together. You just kind of pile them up on a plate, and they wind up getting they wind up getting kind of stuck together. I have a few tricks that I do um, to keep them from being so hard. Because if you boil honey, you evaporate some of the uh, water out of it that's in there naturally, and they just, it kind of gets really hard. So I add a little splash of sweet wine, like Vinsanto or Pasito or something like that, to it to kind of keep it a little loose and keep them moist. Mm-hmm. Um, that that recipe's in my book too, um, but uh, they're you know they're just definitely for me a big childhood thing. I took Struffoli to school in third grade for show and tell. <laughs> oh, that must have been embarrassing for everybody. Well, yeah, I was yeah. the only Italian kid for you know miles and acres. Is that right? You know. Oh, really? Where'd you oh, grow yeah. up, Gina? I grew up in Virginia. Oh, I grew, oh, grew up in Northern Virginia, so yeah, I was definitely one of the weird ethnic kids. Oh, yeah. That's oh, like being a like Jew. I mean, forget about it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, oh, yeah. I don't even think we had any wasps in our high school. Where I went. Really? You mean it was all Italian? It was all Italians yeah, and Jews and, and Jews. Long Island. And Long Island, yeah. yeah. Nassau County. There you go. There you Long go. Island. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I took Struffoli to school for show and tell, which which was really, really did not go over as well as I'd hoped. But it's so delicious. <laughs> they must have loved it. Yeah, I mean, it's who doesn't love something fried? And Italians yeah, and love honey. to celebrate the holidays with fried things. You know, Carnivale is all about fried things, too. So, What else is like, like um, Erica was describing the seven and the 13, you know, fish dishes that are traditional for the night before Christmas. Are there specific desserts that are part of that uh, panoply of goodness? Or does that come later on in the sort of Christmas season? Well, I don't know that des- uh, that there's like a traditional dessert that's part of that feast, but um, you know, Italians are always um, into you know the the pasticcini, the little pastries. So it's very traditional to have an assortment of that. Um, it depends on where you are in Tuscany. Of course, there's going to be panforte. 
Oh, yeah, I um, love that. Yeah, and, you know, in every, a lot of, especially in the north, but I, actually I shouldn't I, I correct myself, in every region there's a holiday festival bread. There's a Christmas bread. So panettone, which has kind of become more of a national thing, you know, originated in Milan. Yeah. And mm-hmm. um, pandoro uh, is from the Veneto. And, uh, you know, there's, there's a Christmas bread, uh, pinza uh, friulana or gubana in Friuli. There's a Christmas bread kind of in every region that they make. So that's usually always present. We always and, had, oh, I'm sorry. I've just, no, go ahead. Um, we always had pizza rustica on Christmas mm-hmm. Day, which actually, I don't... That's an Easter thing is an East, is an East yeah. Is traditionally an Easter thing, but for some mm-hmm. reason... In our family, it became a Christmas thing. <laughs> well, maybe because you had a hangover. Uh, <laughs> yes, everybody <laughs> in my family. So often is in Italian-American families, though, because, you know, you kind of just want to do it whenever you want to do it. Well, I think, uh, you know. I think in general it's very funny about ho- uh, Italian holiday dishes um, when they came to this country um, from Italy. A lot of them became sort of these sort of like pan holiday dishes. Mm-hmm, I mean, like mm-hmm. regatta, like uh, the pastiera, you know, mm-hmm, the regatta, mm-hmm. regatta cheesecake with the wheat mm-hmm. berries. Yeah, with the wheat. It, that's definitely Eastern Easter. Neapolitan. Yeah. And then uh, it, that starts showing up in bakeries around Christmas also sometimes. And, you know, it, it just they just throw everything out. Well, I think that's a very American thing. Exactly, that's I what I that's, meant. I think because in America, we want when we want it, when right. we want it, and we don't want to hear nothing about it. Yeah. So, whereas, <laughs> you know, we're, I think that we are a bit indulgent in that way, whereas in Italy, they're more observant of their tradition and the reason, right. you know. I mean, besides Christmas and Easter and Carnavale, I would say the other... Uh, celebration time in any Italian city is the feast day. And, of course, the feast days are different for every city, for every saint. Uh, you know, there's a patron saint of every village or city or town, and the, that saint's feast day uh, is is another time that you celebrate. So there are traditional foods that happen at all of those times, and it's almost unthinkable to kind of cart those foods out at a different time because... Right. These are very, you know, you look forward to these things. Well, and, Saint, and there's just something more special about having them when you're supposed to have them. And I think that Italians recognize that. Um, and, in, like, you know, we, we, in America, we just, you know, we want it. We're the in- instant gratification. Well, culture, that's funny you should mention that because St. Lucy's Day um, was just, I believe, December 13th. Absolutely, Catania. She's she's the right. patron saint of Catania. Yeah, she's the one with the eye, eyeballs on the plate. Um, the breasts. Those are breasts, my dear. Saint, no, no, not Saint, oh, no. That's Saint Agatha. Saint, Saint Agatha. Agatha right. That's, breasts, right. that's yeah. Saint Agatha. Yeah, she, Saint she, Lucy. Yeah, you're right. The eyeballs. But mm-hmm. but in Sicily, um, they serve uh, kucha for um, Saint Lucy's Day. It was a, it's a tradition which is boiled wheat berries. Absolutely, mixed, it's like a custard mixed with with, mm-hmm. with regatta and cinnamon and it's delicious. Yeah, that too. sounds good. Yeah, it's good. It's well, really actually, good. Gina, we're going to have Erica has a really close friend who's written many books about the saints, and they have a project going together now where they Erica's develops menus for the saints' days, sort of based on historical research, and this all goes up on a website of uh, Barbara. What's Barbara's last Calamaria, name? Calamari. Barbara. Well, Calamari, yeah. Yes. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So we'll have to we'll have to shoot you the link to that because I think you'll get Absolutely. a kick out of it. I'd, I'd love to see that. I love. I carry. Um, I have three or four books of different uh, feast days and information on on you know all the. I, I try to get comprehensive on all the the places in Italy that I travel. Um, 
so that, you know, if I just happen to be around, I always look up, okay, it's November, I'm in Italy, who's having a feast day? Yeah. And try and go check it out, because you learn so much about the local culture by doing that. Oh, I've loved doing this. I, I, I write a monthly column for her um, for Novena.com called Dining with the Saints. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, that's it. It's Novena.com. Yeah. And Barbara Calamari. I have Calamari a great book. I have a great book called At the Table with the Saints. In oh, Italian. I have that book, too. A Tavolo Conisanti. Y- yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Great, <laughs> book. great book. Oh, my God. I know. Oh, my we're God. Like, we're, we're probably on, like. only two people in, the, in, 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 America. in America who have that book. <laughs> Well, you'll Without have to come out, Gina. When the weather is better, you'll come to the studio with Erica, and we'll do a whole thing about that because I think that I would be would a really interesting, to. a really interesting hour of radio with Barbara. It would be great. Just talk about I, sort of how those all those traditions evolve and what what we bring into the current century and what we leave behind. I I would love to. I just um, I just got back from I was in Calabria, where my family is from. Mm. And I, you know, kind of got a good dousing of uh, that tradition um, there. So I'd love to come in and talk about that because I could definitely go on for hours. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, actually, Gina, can I ask you, there's a, uh, my family is part Sicilian, part Puglian. And, okay. and I remember um, for Christmas, uh, Christmas Day, my father used to buy these, um, Rosette wheel, fr- they're much like a struffle, a cart. I think they might yeah, be called cartadate. Cartadate, yes. and they look kind of like ribbons yes. of and- dough that they wind around in a spiral, right? And then douse in honey. And sometimes there's like raisins and almonds on there. And too. I think I remember them being also drizzled with a a, 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 a vincotto. I was just going to say grape must. Grape must, yeah, yes. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Those yep. are really delicious. Those are really good. Those yeah. are really good. And actually, I'm doing a recipe for that in my next book. Oh, so excellent. Hopefully, I'll have something. Oh, uh, I want a recipe for that because you don't see them around in, in bakery shops here anymore. No, 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 you don't. You don't. Those things are becoming so localized. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that worries me sometimes when I'm over in Italy is that they do kind of pick up, they take a lot of cues from America. And whenever yeah. I see things that are either disappearing or kind of around at the wrong time of year, it does kind of concern me that mm-hmm. we're influencing their culture a little bit too much because I very much want to see these things continue. And I think what we do now, even on such a small level, even what we do now by talking about these things is so important. Oh, because I agree. I think that, you know, the, the whatever you want to say about the, uh, the foodie movement here, that, that's what's going to keep these traditions alive. Oh, yeah, um, absolutely. You know, exactly. Otherwise, you know, we'll just descend to into it. a McDonald's-fueled, you know, abyss. I mean... Absolutely. You... <laughs> absolutely. It is really important to keep those, whatever mm-hmm. the tradition is that you come from. It's, you know, whether it's Ludovisk or, you know, <laughs> or, you know, roast beef and Yorkshire pudding. I mean, that's your stuff. And absolutely. there are days when you're supposed to eat that and days when, you know, you can just give it a pass. You know, and... I, I have to say, I, I do... Um, experiment with different Christmas Eve fish dishes every year because I get bored and I want to do different things and um but it's still fish <laughs> and it's, it's still, still Italian mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. and and you know uh, that's what's fun is to do a new thing every year to kind of keep your lineup of old classics right. and do something new as well um, you know my family 
uh, used to get together for that uh, dinner every year, too. It, you know, it's so, it's so bad when everything gets scattered and people get too busy and, and these things kind of start to die out because those are definitely some of my fondest oh, memories me of childhood too. is having, you know, that big dinner. Well, so many people um, write to me, and uh, they have been uh, um, for the last month or so, um, I, on my website saying, you know, my family doesn't do the fish dinner anymore. They don't make the cookies anymore. Mm-hmm. I have get so many. Uh, you're the one who should really be getting these comments, but I get so many um, requests for for Italian Christmas cookies, lost Christmas cookies. I, I mean, do, no, we do. I get a lot of oh, emails about lost Christmas cookies. Oh my god! And like, they're very. You have to really become a detective. Oh, it, to it, figure it out because some of these things are town to town. They're yeah. literally done in one town and seven miles Absolutely. down the road. They're not done at all. That's and if right. Somebody's grandmother came from that town, and that cookie loomed really large in their life. It's, you know, and, and that's not being done anymore. It, it really is hard to kind of track it down. Yeah. And then there are the things that where from town, it's the same cookie, but from town to town, it's called something completely yes. different. And from family to family. Abso- yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's, it it yeah. becomes really difficult. No, I, I, my heart goes out to these people. I try my best. I, yeah, I think I, I have a lot of luck on, on digging well, you, stuff you up. Well, you probably, uh, you know, obviously do a much, much better job than I do. But, I mean, I find these these the Italian Christmas cookie requests like the torment of my life this this <laughs> time of year. Well, I mean, now you know where to send them. <laughs> yeah, can I send them all over to you? You can. Absolutely. Are you serious? Absolutely. I've got a little team you, of gonna, friends over there. You're not going to hate me for it. No, you know, I have a team of friends over there okay. um, who who when I when I need to shoot them a question, uh, I do. I have my little secret sleuths over on site. Oh, that's great. Uh, in country. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Deep cover in country. Yeah, that's great. Um, who um, who kind of helped me out with those those questions. Yeah. Well, girls, we're going to have to wrap this up. Um, Gina, thank you so much for joining us today, and I'm looking forward to welcoming you back into the studio when you are, yes, please, uh, you know, not definitely. so snowed in. Um, and also, when is your next book coming out? Do you, are you uh, still in the when process? I finish so, writing it. <laughs> yeah, okay. So it's not something we can announce as imminent. No, not yet, but as not soon, if you're as, writing as, soon it, as, yeah. as I get a manuscript in and I get a, an idea of when they're going to put it in the rotation to get it published, I yeah. will let you know. Absolutely. Definitely. Well, we'll we, we will promote it like mad. So, um, Erica, thanks so much for coming oh, you're out. You're so welcome. And Gina, nice thank you so much you, for joining oh, us. Oh, you too. Merry Christmas, Merry my Christmas. dear. Merry Christmas. Let's hope 2010 okay. is our best year ever. And uh, we'll be back in a few minutes with um, Divya Gunyani. And we are back. This is the main course on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Katie Kiefer. My cohort and co-host Patrick Martins was on earlier this uh, in the show, but he's out in Chicago um, doing the Saxelby dance. So he'll be back um, after the first of the year. Uh, we will broadcast again on January 3rd, I believe. Um, anyway, we are sponsored today by Roberta's. Uh, Roberta's Pizza in Bushwick. That's 261 Moore Street. By the way, they're promoting a fantastic looking um, new uh, Christmas Eve menu. I strongly recommend checking it out. I'm sure it's posted on their website and the food is always uh, delicious at Roberta's. So um, uh, we have Divya Gunyani. Am I saying that right, Divya? You are. <laughs> um, thanks so much for joining us today. I'm sorry that we couldn't have you in the studio, but I totally understand not wanting to drive. In this weather with this much snow. Where are you coming from? Where would uh, you have come just from? Just Manhattan. Not, oh. not far away. Uh-huh. 
Just lots of snow. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I loved the silence of the city this morning. When I woke up, it was like heaven. It was, you know, you could either think of it as apocalyptic or you could think of it as heaven. And <laughs> you, didn't, you can realize that how many crazy New Yorkers went out for dinner last night. I went out for dinner last night and the restaurant was packed. Really? Yes. Oh, I thought it was beautiful out last night. I loved it. The snow was like pelting down. My kid and I went out and, you know, with some friends of hers and schlepped down to 101st Street. It was glorious. It was our first um, store. So it was mm-hmm. a lot of fun. It was our first storm, and I don't think we got any snow last year. So it was like, uh, you know, it's supposed to snow at this time of year. It Talk is. to me in two weeks. I'll be done with it. But right now it looks really good. It does. <laughs> so Divya, tell us about Behind the Burner, um, which is your website. And, um, you know, how'd you get this started? I mean, you have an incredible roster of chefs participating. Um, why don't you give listeners an idea of what they can find on there? And, uh, and then you can tell us a little bit about how you got it going. So Behind the Burner is an emerging culinary media brand. We focus on content, and it's all expert-based content, in four areas. Food, wine, mixology, and nutrition. We're really aimed and catered to a younger generation of food, beverage, wine, and nutrition enthusiasts. Mm-hmm. We feel like a lot of the content that's out there is written for a very specific demo. And there's a lot of people who, you know, really like to dine out, are just starting to cook, are just starting to enjoy fine wine. And this is kind of their first experience with it. So we're just kind of navigating them through the process. So we do expert-based content. We have a network of over 325 experts. Wow. And, and the experts fall in those four areas I mentioned, food, wine, mixology, and beverage. Right. So they involve celebrity chefs like Wolfgang Puck and Michael Mee and Marcus Samuelson, Todd English, people like that, Uh Um, but also winemakers, sommeliers, um, mixologists, and nutritionists. Mm -hmm. And we basically take their best tips, tricks, and techniques, and we package those in the form of videos, articles, and blogs. Our videos, which can be found on BehindTheBurner.com, are also broadcast to TV through NBC New York Nonstop, so we're okay. on there um, every day pretty much, about every four to eight hours for three to five minutes. Uh-huh. Um, we do some syndication to Channel 4 NBC Local as well. Wonderful. And 49 online media properties, in, including most recently, bravotv.com. That's great. Wow, Divya, you're obviously a dynamo. <laughs> so we're busy this with is that. your brainchild, right? Yeah, it is. And we're really just trying to touch this audience, build brand and build awareness with them across all forms of media. So the broadcast TV piece, the online piece, both on our site and the syndicated properties, and then also with print. I just wrote my first book um, that's going to be published by HarperCollins. Congratulations. And we have an iTunes podcast as well. So uh-huh. What's your think, book? Um, It's called Food Slut, My Little Black Book of Tips from Behind the Burner, a no-nonsense guide (laughs) to staying slim, fit, and fabulous for women who live to eat. Uh Uh-huh. And that's what I do. I live to eat. Bring it on, girl. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. It's not about diets, about eating, enjoying food, enjoying the experience. Absolutely. So what's, I'm guessing your background is marketing, though, just from the way you talk. So how did you get into this? Surprisingly enough, my background is finance, as boring as that could be. Ah, Um, Well, no wonder you got into food. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly, right? Those are, they're a happy marriage, I think. When you have a nice expense account, you can enjoy good food. That's right. Um, So I started my career in Goldman Sachs. I was an investment banker there. And I went to culinary school nights and weekends at the French Culinary Institute. Cool. Got my degree, had a tremendous passion for culinary arts, really wanted to learn how to cook well, mm-hmm. and um, continued to cook while I had a career in finance. So I was at most recently a technology venture capitalist. 
at wow. First Mark Capital. We had about $2 billion under management. Um, and I oversaw our investments in all the quantitative, non-sexy things like health services, insurance technology. I think that's very sexy. Financial services. What are you talking about, girl? <laughs> and then jumped <laughs> off into the world of food because I just had a real desire and passion to reach out to all the people who changed the way I thought about food and beverage mm-hmm. and to really share that knowledge with, you know, the world. So how did you get this uh, web start, web, website started? I mean, how did you, what was your first, like you had the vision, right? Yeah, Which I was... had this aha moment, basically, is what mm-hmm. happened. I had, you know, this career in finance, was very happy, had really worked with lots of startups in terms of the beginning stage of building their company, growing it, and then selling it. So I'd seen all stages of business, but I'd right. never actually done it for myself. And I had passion for all things culinary. So one day, I'm at Cipriani on Sunday night before, you know, they have karaoke, Cipriani downtown. (laughs) You just made that up. You know, I swear. And so I'm like, you know, (laughs) Sunday night at Cipriani when they do karaoke upstairs at the club. And I'm out with my friends. I'm like, wouldn't it be fun if I reached out to all the chefs I knew, you know, all the bartenders and all these people, and I basically got all their best tips, and I packaged them up and kind of shared them with the world. They're like, you're crazy. You have a career in finance. Go back to work on Monday and forget about what you just said. Right. And I said, no, I really want to do it. So I just, I did it. I just, you know, started the company and I had a full-time job. So it was really a toe in the water. I didn't go full force. And um, then I raised a small angel finance round and, you know, had some yeah. capital to get the company off the ground. Yeah, because you have a very slick-looking website. I mean, this is not yeah. a mom-and-pop item here. This no, is like, it's not. Uh, you got it. Re- it really was like, wow, this is like almost too groovy for um, for the <laughs> likes of us at Heritage Radio Network. I mean, you should see where we are, where I am right now. I mean, <laughs> I don't know if you realize that I'm broadcasting from a shipping container. Yes, I know, I know. <laughs> I, I was looking forward to coming and visiting. Well, you'll have to come another time. I will. Actually, I this love is a really to. fun and interesting conversation. I mean, um, I... I I, I have had a few bloggers on in the past, you know, people mm-hmm. with successful blogs, and I and that's sort of a thread that I'd like to keep uh, exploring. So maybe we can have like a little roundtable with you and uh, Andrea Strong and, you know, my friend Erica or Regina Shrambling or somebody like yeah, that. Yeah, I would love to. That'd be kind of cool, yeah. You know, and the best part of this is not only just following my passion and doing something that I really love, mm-hmm. but also the people I've met. It's yeah. just been the the world of food and wine is just a really wonderful, warm world of generous people who you know want to share their experiences. Yeah, I think that's true too. That's what that's what drew me to cooking in the first place. That and the fact that I could always get a job no matter where I was. Exactly, you know? <laughs> <laughs> recession proof. Yeah, it's like being totally. A <laughs> <laughs> Only better because you get to eat. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I, since I didn't have a head for finance, I had to do something, right? <laughs> you know, it's been really fun. It's just, you know, it's as a venture capitalist, I spent a lot of time on the sidelines kind of watching people and coaching them. Mm-hmm. But it's been a real transformational experience to kind of jump over to entrepreneurship Yeah, and, um, you know, to do it yourself. Well, do you have a lot of corporate sponsors there? I, I I can't remember right now offhand when I looked at your website. I was it was so content rich that I I sort of like skipped over the part of like you know how you actually support it. But how do you make a website like this work for you financially? So we basically do branded integrations. We work with brands to create some advertorial content. A vast majority of our content is editorial. So it's completely our lens and extracting really valuable information from all these experts in a very bite-sized, easy-to-digest easy to form. Uh-huh. Um, but we do work with some brands. So, for example, Bacardi, Remy Martin, um, some emerging spirits, wine, uh, restaurants, and, you know, cookware, 
gourmet right. food type brands, and we basically address the finer points of what they're doing, given an expert lens. Like for example, we'd work with a liquor brand, and you know feature their liquor in a clip, but it'll be a brand master talking about why it's so different, mm-hmm. what the best tips are for using it, making some great cocktails with it. We give it that kind of advertorial lens. It's valuable to the consumer; they get something out of it, right. but it's actually branded. And you know, we're very specific in showing. You know, this is sponsored by, or this is you know uh-huh. very clear, so that there's a delineation between what we're doing editorially. Right, right, and that's and that provides enough uh, financial. You know, it does. I mean, engine we, for you to keep on running and keep developing. It does, more. but we, you know we've got it. Um, we have multiple sources of revenue. We do branded integration. We do product placements in some of our clips, which are also clearly delineated. Uh-huh. And then we do commerce. You can buy tools and ingredients at a discount on that. our site. Yeah. You can actually you know use coupon codes and buy them on other sites, and you know save money while shopping and buying really fine quality stuff that we actually recommend. Uh huh. Fantastic. Um, and then we do some commerce partnerships with uh, the Top Secret, where we run culinary sales on Mondays, and we're doing some stuff with Guilt Group on experience-based packages. So we're basically taking our network of experts and you know, taking the content and finding different ways to monetize it. Fabulous. I'm listening to you, and I'm thinking, my God, I'm not even sure I completely understand this language. <laughs> Uh-oh. It must be the fact that I've been to school three times and gotten three degrees. Yeah, I think that must be it. Yeah, either that or, you know, I'm just so hopeless about stuff like this. You know, I can only not think as all. far as, oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I like to say that I just didn't get born with the money chip. You know what I mean? Yeah, and you don't need to. I think, <clears throat> yeah, you know, you do. I always say this, and I was actually talking to my team about this. I said, in life, you should always pursue what you're most passionate about and always take the job that you would come to work every single day if you weren't even getting paid. Um, well, <laughs> that's the job that you're going to love the most and that's what's going to make you the happiest. I never work for money if I can work for free. I mean, <laughs> I know. Honestly, I've been working for free. But I agree Since with I started you. this business, yeah. I've been working for free. And i got to sure. tell you, I've never been so happy in my life. Yeah, I feel the same way. It's been the most rewarding experience. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, eventually it's going to pay off for you. Just like, you know, I think we all feel the same thing at Heritage Radio Network. It's like most of us work for free or for very little money. And it's it's really, really been fun and exciting. And it's great to see things like this grow. So It's um, a great learning experience. And that's is. the best. That, you know, you'll take yeah. that with you forever. So whether you make money from it or not doesn't matter. Exactly. Exactly. But it'll be a you know life changing experience. I think that's I think it's all about continuing to learn and continuing to you know just keep moving forward. I mean that's that's totally my mantra in life. I never stay. I never do the same thing for longer than about ten years. Actually, I've reinvented myself. I swear to God, every ten years. You should though. So, that's yeah. part of the fun of being you. It isn't is. It? I love totally. it. Yeah, me too. <laughs> well, Divya, let's um, let me just identify the name of your site again. It's www.behindtheburner.com. Um, our guest today has been Divya Gunya. Thank you so much. I do hope you'll come out another time um, and we'll have a whole sort of like panel thing going on. I think that'd I would be really love interesting. to. And uh, let me take this opportunity to say happy holidays to you. you and I too. hope 2010 is the best year ever. It's going to be I mine. I hope so. And um, I'll be in touch. This was really fun. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for take having care. me. You betcha. Bye bye. And uh, let me say thank you to my boys in the booth, um, Jack Inslee, my producer, and Nat Wiener, my engineer. Thanks to Roberta's for their uh, continuing support and sponsorship. And I wish you all the very best of the holidays and especially the best year ever. And thank you, Katie, for being so awesome in 2009 (laughs) and booking as many guests on a Sunday as most shows do in a week. (laughs) Yeah. Y'all try to keep up the good work. Yes. (laughs) I'll see you in two weeks, guys. Bye. Bye.